You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number 74, how to optimize your immune system to prevent respiratory infections. Hey, I'm your host, Dr. Yami. I'm a board-certified pediatrician, certified health and wellness coach, author, and speaker. I'm also a passionate promoter of the power of diet and lifestyle in preventing and reversing chronic disease and bringing joy and longevity into our lives. This podcast is focused on plant-based nutrition, habit formation, motivation, and mindset so that you can have the tools to live the best life possible. Are you ready to get started? Let's do this. Your immune system is not just active when you're lying in bed spiking a fever. It's involved in a life or death struggle to save your life from the pathogens that surround and live inside you. Dr. Michael Greger from his book, How Not to Die. Welcome back, veggie lovers. Happy Sunday. Can you believe that Thanksgiving is only four days away? four days away. Are you ready? Do you have your plant-based menu planned out? I know what I'm going to have. Definitely mashed potatoes. Definitely a vegan corn pudding. Definitely going to make Brussels sprouts. Those are for sure. And I think I'm probably going to make a pasta dish. I had made for the vegetarians of Yakima We have a vegan potluck every year, and this year I made a vegan pumpkin ricotta stuffed shells recipe. Oh my goodness. If you follow me on Instagram or Facebook at the Dr. Yami, you can see pictures. Actually, it was like a little video I took of when I had taken it out right from the oven and the sauce was still bubbling. Oh my goodness. It was so good. We doubled the recipe and only took one pan to the potluck. And then when we came back the next day, we annihilated all the rest of it. At the potluck, it completely got eaten. I didn't even eat any at the potluck because I wanted other people to taste it. But then when we ate it at home, I I was able to get some and it was just so good. So I recommend it if you like pasta. It's kind of like a fun Thanksgiving-y spin on pasta with the pumpkin, but super creamy, super delicious. So I'd love to know what you're making. Can reply to my email if you're on my newsletter or comment on one of my Instagram or Facebook posts. I can't wait. Thanksgiving is so fun. But anyway, things have been very busy in my life. My book officially, officially launched on Amazon on the 19th, so this past Tuesday. And it's been so fun to see people sending me pictures with their book. If you are one of my listeners that has ordered a book, can you send me a picture? You can email it to me at yami, at dryami.com. That's D-O-C-T-O-R-Y-A-M-I.com. Or you can message me on social media. I would just love to see a picture of you with my book because it's just really, really fun. It makes me super excited. 
So I hope that if you ordered my book, if you pre-ordered my book, you've already received it. If you have not pre-ordered my book yet and you want to find out more about it, it's called A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy. You can find out more about it on my website, dryami.com, D-O-C-T-O-R-Y-A-M-I.com forward slash book. And if you aren't already on my newsletter and you want to get the link to the podcast episode and the blog post that goes along with the podcast episode, you can sign up for my newsletter at dryami.com forward slash sign up, S-I-G-N-U-P. I would love to have you on there so that I can tell you all of the great things that are happening. So thank you all very much for supporting Veggie Doctor Radio and listening and for my loyal listeners that listen to every single episode. Mom, I know you're there listening. Thank you. I love you. And some of my friends that are loyal listeners, thank you because guess what? We are about to hit 100 thousand downloads really soon either this week or next week i am so stoked i am so excited this is a huge milestone that i've just been waiting for and thank you so much i just feel so grateful and so honored i want to remind you that the information on this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only and it is not meant to replace careful evaluation and treatment so if you have concerns about your own or your child's nutrition or any medical issues please consult your healthcare provider because today i'm going to talk about the immune system as you know here in the united states and in Washington state where I live on the West Coast, it is the fall, which means that it is cold, the kids are in school, and it is cold and flu season. And this year, it is hitting us hard. I knew it was gonna be a tough year because the week before school started, I was already getting patients that were sick with cold viruses and it was right before school started and I knew it was just gonna be like this continuous thing and I was right. So then as soon as school started a week later, I've had a steady stream of patients coming in, runny nose, congestion, cough, but also the vomiting and diarrhea that have not stopped since the summer. So many people sick with that and with fevers with it, oh my gosh, it's just been intense. Definitely already some patients that have flu-like illnesses, so they may have had the flu or getting the flu, but we are in it. We are in cold and flu season, people. You might know because you may have been one of the ones affected, and I'm just gonna confess, I recently got sick and it was awful. So I'm gonna tell you my story. I went to Panama for the weekend right before the American College of Lifestyle Medicine conference because one of my cousins was getting married. And I was so excited to be there, but it was gonna be a very short trip. Well, when I arrived, I found out that one of my other cousins, both of his kids were sick with confirmed influenza type B. In case you don't know, the flu 
is a worldwide thing. We don't just get it in the United States and it doesn't just happen in places that are cold. It happens everywhere. And what's interesting is that the seasons are different. So in Panama, the flu is more prevalent during the rainy season, which is really interesting. And it's not cold there, you know, it's tropical, it's super hot. But anyway, my cousin's children were sick and I was like, okay, well, I mean, I was gonna go to my conference. I knew I had this big test to take in about a week and I was not going to get sick. I know this is horrible. This might seem to you guys like I'm heartless, but I'm like, I'm not going over there. I'm not gonna go to that house. I'm not gonna visit those kids. And <laughs> this just sounds really bad because I love my family and I'm a pediatrician, but I just did not wanna get sick. And this is probably the first mistake I did is my mindset was like paranoid. I'm like, oh my gosh, I have this huge test. I can't be sick for this. So I was doing my best to avoid and my grandma who is so loving and she was going over there and I was trying to tell her not to go because she's 85 years old and she had a stroke a few months ago. But anyway, she was going anyway. She was wearing a mask. She ended up being fine. Well, what happened is my cousin who is the father of the children, he got sick and he thought it was cool to hang out everywhere and go places and go to the wedding while he had fever and because i was so paranoid and i didn't want to sit next to anybody and i was probably acting like not cool he decided to come and purposely try to infect me so he was rubbing his face on my face while he had fever this is awful and i'm like oh my god no and he's like well now you're gonna get sick well guess what about how how long was it so that was like on a saturday by the next Saturday, so about a week later, I had fever to 102, almost 103. Thankfully, I didn't get a cough or anything like that. I just got a little bit of runny nose, fever, and I felt like my head was gonna explode. And I was in bed for two days over the weekend, and that was the worst of it. But the paranoia and the very frank exposure on my face to somebody that had fever with the influenza type B was enough to get me sick. So I know how you feel, all of you people out there that have been sick recently, it's not fun. Lots of my family members have been sick recently. And of course, as a pediatrician, I have parents that are coming in very worried about their children because they're getting sick and then they seem to be better a couple of days, then they get sick again and they seem to be better maybe a few days and they get sick again and it's just the season Parents are always wondering, how can I decrease the amount of times my child gets sick? Is there something wrong with their immune system? What can I do? And they feel desperate, of course, because whenever you have little ones, you also lose sleep and you have to work the next day and it's really, really tough. So I promise you that I empathize with you. I've been there and I know it's rough. Let me just give you a couple of statistics because I was amazed about this since I got the influenza type B. This is after I had the flu vaccine, by the way, but this particular strain of flu probably was not included in the flu vaccine I got. Who knows? I don't know. I don't think it was typed, but anyway, 
in 2017, the 2017 to 2018 flu season, the statistics from the CDC have shown that probably about 15% of the U.S. population had symptomatic flu-like illness. So whether it was flu or another virus that's similar to the flu, 15% of the U.S. population had it. Of those 15%, 2% were either hospitalized or died from it. So 2% of the 15%. And that's pretty significant. And that is a lot of people that get sick. And that's just flu-like illness. This is not including colds. So the difference, just so you know, because a lot of people call what they have the flu, but it's not really a flu. So the flu is fever, usually high fever, up to 103, 104. Actually, could be even higher, 105. Um, and usually runny nose, congestion, sore throat, headache. Only 20% or less of people that get the actual influenza virus have vomiting and diarrhea. A lot of people call vomiting and diarrhea the flu, but that's not the typical flu symptoms. Typical flu symptoms are fever, headache, runny nose congestion, maybe some cough, sore throat, and feeling like you need to be in bed sick. Most times when you get the flu, especially the flu A, which is more aggressive than the flu B. The flu B, you know, I was in bed sick for two days, but the influenza type A is usually more aggressive. So you're usually out for a good five to seven days in bed feeling awful. So we don't wanna get the flu because it's just not fun and a lot of misery can happen, but also because, I mean, like, Look, 2% of those 15% that got the flu last year were hospitalized or died. That's major morbidity and mortality. So we want to try to avoid that. Before I go on, there is something I want to say because I always hesitate to talk about stuff like this, especially in the plant-based community. And I don't want to, I don't want to imply that there's anybody doing anything wrong. However, I will say that health shaming definitely exists. You know, there's body shaming and all of this kind of stuff, but there's definitely also health shaming. What does that mean? It's when people go around implying that other people are getting sick because of something they're doing or not doing and making them feel bad about it like memes that you see that say, you know, everybody's sick, y'all just need to eat your fruits and vegetables, you know? Um, or we, in, my, in our family, well, we never get sick because we eat a healthy diet. And maybe that's true and maybe it's not, but all I'm saying is don't try to imply that other people are getting sick because of what they're doing or not doing this applies not just to colds and flus and those kinds of things, but all kinds of chronic illnesses and all kinds of illnesses. There, it's complicated. Life is complicated. Risk is complicated. People's bodies are different. People's genetics are different. 
I'm glad that there's so many healthy people not getting sick, not having chronic disease, but even people that really try hard to have a diet and lifestyle that promotes their well-being and their health may not be healthy. They may not be able to have the health that they want. So let's just do the best we can for ourselves, but let's not get cocky about it or arrogant about it or try to make other people feel bad about what's going on with their bodies because we're all just trying to do better for ourselves and for our families. So sorry about that little segue, but I feel like it's important to do that. All right, so going based on that, I do also just wanna point out that the immune system is so complex. It is amazingly complex. I don't really understand it fully because I'm not smart enough to, I'm not detail oriented. And the immune system is like 50 bazillion details. I mean, there's so much going on at once. And we have so many methods of protection from infection. So one of the first barriers of protection is our skin. And a lot of people know that, right? You know that if you get a cut in your skin, that's an entry point for infection. So most people, when that happens, they wash it with soap and water. They might put some antibiotic ointment on it. They're keeping it clean. We know that. But we also have our mucous membranes because infections can get in through our eyes, through our nose, and of course, through our gut, our mouth, and our gut has even more surface area than our skin does. A lot more surface area. I feel like it's by a, how much more is it? I don't know, I'm going to say it wrong, so I'm not even gonna try, but it's definitely a lot more surface area than our skin. And those are all areas that are vulnerable to infection, our lungs, all of those things. Anything that comes in contact with food, water, and the air, those are all different entry points for infections. So we have those, we have the physical barriers, but then if an infection gets in, which they do all the time, then we have multiple organs, like our lymph nodes, spleen, we have all of these different organs that are immune organs. Their job is to clean the blood, to kill foreign invaders, then we have white blood cells. So neutrophils, natural killer cells, and B cells. B cells are the ones which make antibodies. And these are all specialized and they do different things, but together they're able to launch an attack and destroy foreign invaders. And they work in a variety of different ways and different mechanisms and work together. So it's like super duper complicated, I probably messed some of that stuff up there. So any immunologists that are listening can write into me and tell me how I got it all wrong. Or hopefully I can get an immunologist on the show to talk about this stuff. I would love that. Plant-based allergist immunologist, please contact me. But that's all just to say that the immune system is really complicated and there's a lot of different things going on. And also when it comes to genetics and different body types, there's different places in all of those areas that maybe things can go wrong. And this is where immunodeficiencies come in and all of that. But let's just say that you have a typically functioning immune system and things generally go well in there. 
what are some of the ways that we, what are the factors involved in getting sick? Okay, so the primary factor when it comes to infection is exposure, okay? You cannot get an infection unless you are exposed to it. You have to be exposed. Well, the truth is we are exposed all the time, constantly. You are constantly exposed to infections. Like, like right now, they're on your skin, they're in your mouth, they're in all of your mucous membranes. They are there, they're just like hanging out. Most of the time they're just hanging out there, not doing anything bad not harming you. And sometimes, and a lot of times, especially with our good gut bacteria, they are beneficial. They're helping us. But if we didn't have a functioning immune system, like say you are severely immune compromised, even those friendly bacteria that we say, quote, friendly, that are just hanging out, not seeming to hurt us, could really hurt you or even kill you if your immune system doesn't work. I tell parents, if an immune system is not working, you would know a baby would be severely ill from the beginning. And there's lots of different places, like I said, that immune systems cannot function well and might have different symptoms from milder to more severe. But that's just something, some a one way to think about it. So you're exposed all the time, no matter what. But some people have increased exposure. I'm sure you can guess who those people are are little babies that go to daycare. So I like to say that basically being in a daycare is like living in a Petri dish, nice growth there of all kinds of viruses and bacteria, um, snotty noses, you go in and you see like all these kids with like mucus draining down their nose and they're like, you know, mouthing toys and handing it to each other. And other kids like, oh yeah, I'm gonna mouth on that too, you know, and so, that's definitely a place of exposure. But even for babies that don't go to daycare, but have older siblings that go out into the world, either to preschool or their older school children, they're bringing viruses and bacteria home that that baby might be naive to. Or if you go out to work, for example, my work, I have high exposure. I am seeing sick kids all day long, most days of the week. You may also have a change in your exposure when you move. Like I found that when I finished residency and I took my first job here in Yakima for the first few months, I was getting sick, even though I had been doing pretty well after a few years in Cincinnati. So whenever you move to a different part of the country, you are exposed to slightly different um, bugs, you know, and so that can definitely cause a spike in your infections for a while, in your illnesses. The other thing that happens with exposure, and I don't, I don't know, this is just another little caveat that I wanna say, is that viruses mutate. And so I feel that every few seasons, we have a particularly hard, like every three years or so, we may have a particularly rough season, cold and flu season, where the viruses mutated just enough that even though you were immune before and you seem to do okay, now you're gonna get sick this year. And then there's some viruses that are just like crazy contagious. I mean, for example, one of those is the measles virus. It's really contagious. So you don't have to be that close to a person to get it and they could have been in a room and then two hours later you go in the same room and they're not even there anymore. It's contagious. Another one that 
is very contagious is hand, foot, and mouth, which is caused by the Coxsackie virus. That virus lives for a very long time, up to three weeks, I think, on an unsanitized surface. <laughs> so, you know, like that's a very hardy, long-lived virus that can cause a lot of infection, especially in daycare centers and those kinds of things. So number one factor, the number one factor in getting sick and getting an infection is exposure. And people have different levels of exposure. So if your child goes to daycare, if they go to school, if they're out in the world, around more people, the more people you're around, the more exposure you're going to have, okay? So the number two factor is going to be your antibodies. Basically, what are you already immune to? What has your system encountered before? So this means that once you've encountered this particular pathogen, you make antibodies to them. And so if you encounter it again, you may not get sick or you may not get as sick because your body has already mounted an attack against it, so it's ready. It's, it, it can launch an attack very quickly once it enters your body. Now, you may have been infected before or you may have gotten these antibodies from an immunization, a vaccine. And immunizations help prime your immune system to make specific antibodies to viruses or bacteria or other pathogens. So they give you the information. It tells your body, this is the kind of antibody I want you to make so that if you encounter this infection, you are ready to fight it and attack it. The other way that you can gain some immunity is through what's called passive immunity, passed down from a mother to a child, to a baby. So the mother can actually pass down immunity as the baby is growing in her womb through IgG antibodies. But also, once the baby is born, if the mother chooses to breastfeed, she can pass down passive immunity through IgA antibodies, which decreases the risk that that baby's going to get sick from certain infections that she's passing down the antibodies to. So that's really cool. That's one of the advantages of breast milk and breastfeeding babies. And I don't know the exact study, and it's not something that I looked up before I recorded this episode, but I know that even like the maternal antibodies can change in response to the baby. Like even if the mom herself doesn't get exposed to something, if a baby's been exposed to something, like she can start making antibodies. I'm pretty sure I read that, but oh my gosh, that is so amazing and so fascinating that our bodies can be that smart. Okay, so number one, exposure. Number two, antibodies. What are we already primed for? What are we already prepared to fight? And number three is external factors that affect the functioning of your immune system. Those are going to be things like sleep, which I think is one of the most important. Exercise, diet, stress, and mindset. And like I was saying before, when I got sick with the flu, I was so paranoid. I really think I probably, you know, I was like way too worried about it, you know? Um, and I, I probably kind of, my system was already on hyper aware, hyper charged to get that infection. But definitely not sleeping enough, not getting enough exercise, or the fact that you do get exercise can decrease your risk. 
So now that you know what the factors are, exposure, antibodies, and the external factors that affect your physiology, let's talk about how to decrease your risk or how to help your child have less risk. Taking into account that, like I said, kids of certain ages, you, you can do what you do and you can optimize what you can optimize, but they're just getting exposed. And what I tell parents, when kids first start daycare, no matter how old they are, expect that those first six months are gonna be pretty rough. Like they may be getting one to two or more infections per month, those first six months of daycare. So six to 12 infections in the first six months, that can feel like they're pretty much constantly sick, okay? So you do the best you can, but just be prepared for that. And I know I documented, my son was lucky enough that he was able to stay home with family members or a nanny until he was two and a half. And it just worked better for us because we were in medical school and residency and it was just gonna be almost impossible to do daycare because of the hours. So he actually had never had a fever in his entire life until the Friday that he started his little preschool when he was two and a half. He started on Monday. By Friday, he had his first fever. It was amazing to see. I mean, and I kept a calendar just because I was already in residency at the time and I already knew these things and I kind of wanted to see, is this true? And I started documenting when he would get his cold, when he would get his fevers. And when I looked at the calendar after he had been in for a year, I couldn't believe it. It was like that. It was like the first six months, it was between six and 12 infections that he had had. So, and that's after two and a half years of not being sick because he just was not exposed. He had never had a fever until he was two and a half and started preschool. So let's talk about how to decrease our risk. One, decrease your exposure. You may not be able to change the fact that you go out into the world and you're not gonna want to either. I wanna be a pediatrician. I wanna help children and be with families. And I also wanna have children myself at home <laughs> They're my exposure, so my patients and my own kids are my exposure. So I'm not going to get rid of them. I love them. So what can I do is practice contact precautions. I'm really good about this in my office. So I wash my hands before and after every single patient encounter or I use hand sanitizer. Hand sanitizer may actually be slightly superior to hand washing, but either way, just do it. Wash your hands often, especially during cold and flu season. And just be very mindful of where you are and when you're putting your fingers, rubbing your eyes or putting them in your mouth or eating with your hands. If you're in a public place, you really should be washing your hands before you do that because you have come in contact with somebody else's germs, especially during cold and flu season. So wash your hands, sanitize around your house, those kinds of things. So I'm really good about it at work. I don't think I hardly ever get sick from my patients, but when I come home, I'm pretty lax because especially my little one, he's just so freaking cute and his skin is so soft and I can't help myself. I wanna cuddle with him and I wanna kiss his cheeks and I just wanna rub up on him and love him and I, think he probably is the one I get exposed from the most. <laughs> so you can do what you can do, but I mean, that's what happens. If you get in contact with that virus, you're probably gonna process it through your system and you may get symptoms. So wash your hands, use sanitizer, 
hand sanitizer. Don't be around sick people if you don't want to get something. So that's the first one, decrease your exposure. Number two, get adequate sleep. So for adults, that's going to be between seven and eight hours consistently each night. It doesn't work to get four or five hours during the week and then try to make up for it on the weekend. Sleep is so important. Sleep is so essential to be consistent and give yourself extra sleep when you need it. So I think that one of the ways I actually fight infections is my body tells me to go to sleep. I get really tired and I pay attention because I don't wanna come down with something that's gonna cause me to miss work and not be able to see patients and take care of them. So just pay attention to your body. When it says you need sleep, get sleep. For children, the number of hours can vary. Um, of course, the younger a child is, the more sleep they're gonna get. But just make sure that for your child, you are sticking to a regular routine, a good bedtime routine, allowing them to get that sleep. And the teenagers, they do need a lot of sleep because they're going through puberty, their bodies are changing, their hormones are changing. So a lot of the teens, I say nine to 10 hours of sleep is what they may need. Uh, so really watch that, especially when they're involved in sports and all of those things, they have homework, they may start skimping on their sleep. So just kind of find ways to allow them to get more sleep if possible, because that's really going to help keep their immune systems optimally strong to be able to fight these infections. Number three, get regular exercise. So in Dr. Greger's book, How Not to Die, he has a section on infections. And exercise, there's lots of data to show how wonderful it is for our bodies and our well-being and increasing our years of life and increasing our happiness. But there's also data to show that moderate exercise may actually boost our IgA cells. So these are one of the types of cells in the immune system and it may decrease the risk of getting flu-like symptoms. Regular exercise may decrease our sick days by 25 to 50%, and that's really important for a lot of people. So pay attention to that. Regular exercise does not mean you have to be like super intense about it. Really, when it comes to lifestyle medicine, we recommend if you can get a minimum of 150 minutes of moderate exercise per week, 150 minutes per week, okay? So that's only 30 minutes five times per week. So five days a week, you can do a 30 minute block or you can do them as little as 10 minute blocks. Kids, especially young kids, this is not a problem. They love to run around, they love to be active. Once they start getting into junior high and high school, the sedentary hours increase. They may be sitting down a lot to do homework or reading, or they may be starting to get into the media, the television, the video games. So finding ways for kids to stay active, whether it's through sports or other family activities, that really boosts those IgA cells and helps decrease our risk of infection. And just it just makes us feel so good. And it improves our sleep too. Number four, eat an antioxidant-rich diet and stay hydrated. So I hope by now, if you've listened to this podcast for a while, you know what those foods are. Fruits, vegetables, whole grains, beans, nuts, and seeds. Foods that are particularly rich in antioxidants are herbs and spices, leafy greens and berries, and beans. 
get those foods in your diet, get those leafy greens in there every day. So in the book, How Not to Die by Michael Greger, he does review some studies showing that kale can increase antibody production. They actually did some studies in a Petri dish and poured kale juice on them and found that the antibody production jumped up when they did this. But broccoli consumption can also boost what they call intracellular lymphocytes, which are the ones found in that gut lining. So decreasing our infection through our gut. Berries can boost natural killer cells, which is another cell type in our immune system. So all of these foods, we know that they have antioxidants, which helps decrease free radical damage and helps decrease our risk of infection through that. But there's all these other mechanisms. There's all these other ways that eating these foods, these whole plant foods can decrease our risk of infection and help improve the functioning of our immune system, help it work a little bit better, allow it to do its job. Number five is to keep a positive mindset. And probably along this lines is also to try to keep stress down. Definitely during the holidays, we are spread thin, we're running around, we're trying to do for everybody, skipping on our sleep because there's so much to do and that can increase our stress. We might start to get a little grumpy, like the Grinch. <laughs> um, so it's important to stay positive, stay joyful. What is it that you have to do to do that? Whether it's journaling, meditation, hanging out with your buddies, hanging out with your family, getting a massage, taking some time for yourself, even just some quiet time. Whatever you have to do to keep a positive mindset, if you notice you start getting in that grumpy, rushed, strained sort of feeling, take a step back and ask yourself, what is it that I need in order to improve this? And I mean, it happens to me all the time. I know that I talk about joyfulness and well-being, but I'm a normal person too. So I can get in a funk for a few days and it doesn't feel good. And when I realize I'm not feeling good, that's when I say, okay, what do I need to do? I've been neglecting my self-care for too long. And it applies to children too. Children get stressed. They get stressed about tests. They get stressed about family things. So talking to them about what they can do, whether it's journaling, or talking with you can they do to decrease their stress and help them with that positive growth mindset. So those are the different factors that I wanted to talk about today. So decrease your exposure and practice contact precautions, which means wash your hands, clean things, two, get adequate sleep, three, get regular exercise. If you can aim for that 150 minutes of moderate exercise per week, that would be great. And moderate exercise means that you can still talk but not sing while you are exercising. You can talk but not sing, that's moderate. Eat an antioxidant-rich diet, stay hydrated, drink plenty of water, especially when it's cold, you may not feel as much thirst. So it's important to really remind yourself and be mindful about your water intake because water is very important to the functioning of our body and get those leafy greens and beans in there. I'm not gonna let go on the bean part, guys. Eat your beans. And number five, keep a positive mindset. Okay, so say you do get sick, 
I'm just gonna quickly go over something. So we're all, it's gonna happen to everybody, no matter what kind of diet you eat and how much you meditate and sleep. You're probably at some point gonna get some kind of upper respiratory infection or vomiting and diarrhea or whatever. So watch for, number one, what to do if you get sick, watch for emergency symptoms. Unexplained pain, especially if it's severe pain, difficulty breathing, rapid breathing, dehydration, severe headache. There's more, but these are the main ones that I talk to my patients about. Fever that's going on too long or unexplained fever, like there's no reason for the fever. It just seems to just come out of nowhere. If any of these things are happening, you need to see a medical provider or go to the emergency department. So watch for those red flag emergency symptoms. Number two, if you're otherwise just having your standard runny nose congestion cough and you're not having any of those emergency symptoms, definitely rest, get sleep, do what your body's telling you. If your body's telling you, I cannot move from this couch, I need my blanket, I need my water, and I'm just gonna lay here until I feel better, do it, rest. Allow your child to rest. A lot of parents do get worried when their kids are starting to get sick or are sick and are taking longer naps. As long as they're not having any of those emergency symptoms, let them sleep. Let them use that time for the body to process the infection and try to clear it and try to get over it. So that sleep is really important. Number three, stay hydrated. So, I mean, it's cliche. We talk about making sure you drink lots of fluids, but it is really important because when you're sick sometimes, you just don't feel like it. You don't, you don't feel good. You don't feel like drinking or eating anything. So sometimes, especially for kids, you have to be very deliberate about offering those fluids. For children, the safest way to hydrate them is if they're a breastfeeding or formula feeding child, breast milk or formula, or Pedialyte. Okay, Pedialyte is really great. For the older kids, if Pedialyte is like, ugh, they can't take it, I say uh, Gatorade, half and half with water, preferably one that doesn't have too many of those crazy dyes in there, if you can get like a clearish one, but they probably, even the clear ones have dyes in there. I mean, I don't even know how they put dyes in clear stuff, but anyway, it's there. So try to get ones that are a little bit less of those things in there, but I tell parents to cut it 50% with water so that it's not quite as sugary, because sometimes, especially if the kid's having diarrhea, it might kind of upset their stomach. But staying hydrated, drinking plenty of fluids. One thing that I tell parents for number four is, you know, if, if it's just a few days of illness, three to five days, and your child doesn't feel like eating much, but they're drinking well, don't panic. You don't have to force feed your child. They're following what their body is telling them. And not eating because digestion takes a lot of energy. And when you're sick, your body is needing to use that energy to heal and to fight the infection. Now, if it's a prolonged illness, it's lasting more than a few days and they're not eating, and you're concerned, it's always right to contact your healthcare provider and get evaluated. But for these short-term ones, they may not wanna eat and that's okay. You don't have to force feed them. Just make sure that they're staying hydrated, get them Pedialyte or something that has little salt and sugar in it. And that will also help them feel a little bit better so that their blood glucose stays at a reasonable level, those kinds of things. And number five, please stay away from the public. 
If you have an infection, if you have fever, don't be like my cousin and go to a wedding. Oh my gosh, please do not go out in public if you have fever, okay? It's, it's not right. It's potentially you can be infecting little babies and pregnant women and our senior citizens. So call in, stay home, do what you need to do, get your family members to help you. Same thing for the kids. I know it's hard, moms and dads, when your kid gets sick and you're really like, please go to school, please go to daycare. But if they have a fever, it's really better if they stay home. During our fever is when we shed or spread the most virus when we have these viral infections, okay? So especially when they have fever, you really need to stay home, keep them home, rest, stay hydrated, Call the doctor if you're worried. It's never wrong to call. Never wrong to call. If you're concerned, if you're not sure, it's better to call the doctor and see if you need to be seen or if your baby or your child needs to be seen. So that is it. We talked about what the factors are in getting an infection, how to decrease your risk of it, what to do if you get sick, and particularly I'm talking about upper respiratory infections in this episode. So I hope that this was helpful. I know I'm not as smart as an immunologist and I can't talk about all the intricacies of the immune system, but I felt like this might be a good time of year to talk about these things. Get your sleep, get your exercise, eat your antioxidant-rich diet, keep a positive mindset, and decrease your exposure and practice contact precautions. My call to action for you this week is to find one way to optimize your habits, like I said above, for your immune system. How can you optimize the functioning of your immune system with your habits? Find one of these ways that you can improve. Thank you so much for listening, my veggie lovers. Please, if you enjoyed this episode, share it. Subscribe to my podcast rate and review it. I would really appreciate if you did that. And sign up for my newsletter if you haven't already. You can also text the word fiber, F-I-B-E-R, to 66866 if you want to join my newsletter. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope that you have a plantastic day. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you for tuning in, and I look forward to having you back again next week. A very special thank you to the band Rocket Surgeons for permission to use the broccoli song. To find out more about the Rocket Surgeons, please visit their website at rocketsurgeonsband.com or Facebook at Rocket Surgeons Music. Please subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Also, all of my social media links can be found in the podcast description. Send me a message and let me know what you think of today's podcast. Sharing is caring. Please share, rate, and review my podcast and drop me a line if you have ideas for future episodes. Thank you once again and have a plantastic day. We're having broccoli.